Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Evil Chat number 14 with endurance coach, high school endurance coach, or really endurance coach extraordinaire, John O'Malley. He is a uh, English teacher and high school coach um, of, here in Illinois, just uh, just outside of Chicago, out in the burbs. Uh, this high school is Orland Park, uh, Sandburg, or I think it's in Sandburg, I think is what it's, what it's called. Um, or it's in the town of Sandburg. Or no, I think it's in the town of Orland Park, but it's called Sandburg. That's what it is. Yes. Sorry. I I can never get the names of these Chicago suburbs and where they are and things straight. So my apologies to anybody that uh, that's from there. But anyways, um, and uh, yeah, this is a quite an amazing conversation, actually, because um, it, it's one of those ones where at the end of it, I thought, you know, when I walked away from it, I thought, yeah, you know, it, it would be good to have, I'm not sure how, if we got into enough specifics and, but then when I went to edit it again and I listened to it, I thought, yeah, it's pretty good. Like, it's really, really good. This guy really has a... Uh, an exceptional, very th- uh, thoughtful way that he approaches training. Uh, it's not what I expected because this was set up by uh, my friend Tom Novak, uh, my my uh, music buddy, track buddy here that I met in Chicago. By the way, we're going. We just bought tickets to uh, a big punk rock festival in Las Vegas in the fall. <laughs> Uh, that should be good. Anyways, uh, he's the one, he coaches with John at this high school and, um, was, uh, was, uh, had a very strong opinion that, that I should get John on the podcast. And I'm glad he talked me into it. Cause this is, this is a really valuable conversation and it's leading to a series of these that I want to do. Uh, I've got one by Nick Garcia in the bag. That'll come out soon. Uh, I'll do one on sprints uh, where I, I, I tracked down or located an exceptional high school sprints coach or endurance coach or throws and jumps, whatever. I'll find one for each. And uh, and I interview them and we talk about some of the issues uh, around coaching those events in uh, you know, in in a high school in uh, in America, and I think that's uh, you know pretty important discussion to have these days because it's one thing for someone like me to sit here and say, yeah, you know, it should be done this way, should be done that way, and everybody's screwing it up and nobody's doing it right and blah blah blah. But it's another to have the conversation of someone that is in the mix and has to face the realities that are, uh, you know, that these coaches are confronted with, especially now with COVID. Although, uh, you know, I don't know how much that impacts how they do things, I guess, uh, or at least, uh, you know, in terms of the protocols that they, uh, you know, that they that they use to train athletes. But anyways, uh, but I think you understand what I mean. So um, I, this guy was perfect for this. And in fact, I thought it was, I was so pleased with it after I had edited it. I uh, said in an email, I said, "Hey, you know, we should do more of these because I think um, I think him and I could do a series on in high school endurance coaching that might be really, really good." Now, this guy is not just any coach, so he's massively successful. 
Um, I don't like to just run down stats in the intros here. I'm just going to put it up in the uh, uh, in the text on the on the podcast page or the Apple page or whatever. However you listen to this, it'll be in the intro there. So go check it out. But I mean, this guy has had all kinds of national champions and. Uh, relay teams that have done incredible. Uh, he's had a kid go 147 in the eight in high school. But, you know, more importantly, it's how he does it or how he has done it that uh, that's really interesting to me. Um, I went in, I, I, I think I hinted to, about this before, but I, I went into this thinking it was going to be a different discussion than it was. But it turns out we're, uh, uh, it seems, uh, on the same page with a lot of things. So it was, it was really good, or I enjoyed it a lot. So, okay. So uh, I'm not going to do any other housekeeping. I'm going to have some uh, other than I'm going to have some other uh, uh, podcasts coming out real quick. Uh, the Hammer one with Don Babbitt's coming out real quick. Uh, Nick Garcia, and uh, I have a new one. I'm going to do a, another series with a uh an up-and-coming coach in britain harvey i'm just going to call him harvey and uh those are pretty interesting too we've already done a few of those so there's lots coming out i've been super busy lately super busy as usual but more busy than usual because i've been traveling now for the first time and god knows how long and so anyways but i've got some time now i'm going to get back to this and start putting these out regular so hope you enjoy it so i won't Enough of that. Uh, here, for better or for worse, here is my evil chat with Coach John O'Malley. All right. So, John O'Malley, how are you? Fantastic. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thanks. So, uh, I'm going to just right off the bat here apologize to the listeners for the, uh, you know, there's probably a big echo here. I think we're picking up each other's mic. And, uh, and I didn't bring the proper equipment because I got my day screwed up because Tom, well, my, my secretary, Tom, didn't, <laughs> Tom Novak, who is my, my buddy, who will come, is going to be in a podcast coming up soon, but we won't t- talk too much about Tom right now. But anyways, no. we're in his basement. He's, He's sitting here too. getting drunk while the <laughs> two of us are going to have a conversation about high school endurance training. So... But, so, we're here. Good. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. So, um, the point of this, I had this idea. Actually, you and I were chatting. It was, I think, Tom, when the idea came up. Um, I've been, I mean, part of my expertise, I guess, is in youth development. I've been doing a lot of that on the podcast, on the site, it's kind of, in some ways, I want to take the site in that direction. I want to maintain, I have the Bonnercheck thing there, and I'm really interested in sort of both ends of the continuum, you know, the really elite stuff and the, you know, so, but lately my head's been into a lot of the youth development stuff, and I, you know, really kind of going hardcore. I did the sport parent course where I was, for like a year, I was going deep into that. Um, and so, like I said, my head's really been there. And, but I was thinking that, like, Tom and I were having a discussion one night because he, 
uh, sat me down and gave me a critique of the his critique of the podcast after the first few episodes, which was actually really helpful. That's un- we- he usually doesn't critique anyone. That's really unusual. It, it, oh, really? Oh, good. It's good to know. So, um, and I was thinking that you know it's fine to talk about all of these long-term progressions and what coaches should and shouldn't do. But then when you start to talk to coaches on the ground, you realize it's not quite so simple, right? Not everybody is in the position to be able to create long-term progressions like I could when I was when I was a young coach because I wasn't in the American system, I was in the Canadian system, which means there really isn't a system, it's you create your own system. But here you have actually whether it was intended to be a formal system from cradle to grave or whatever they call it. it. Whether it was intended to be formal, you have a system. And it's actually not a bad system in, in a lot of ways. But, I, you know, what we were thinking, you know, so I guess the example that Tom and I were talking about was, you know, okay, so it's easy to say, okay, you shouldn't do this with a, with a talented endurance runner because you want to make sure that, the, they don't specialize until later on, and um, and I could come up with a the, you know the, you know there's certain certain types of workouts and certain certain abilities you wouldn't target or you shouldn't target when you're in high school or when you're you know uh, pre high performance training, but um, you know because you if if they are going to have a long career into their late twenties early thirties, which is when most elite endurance runners peak then that's kind of what you want to do and I could I could get I could say the same thing about the throws and the jumps right there's you know you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to hammer maximal strength when kids are in high school you know the same idea you I think everybody get understands that picture I've been preaching it like crazy but what about the kid that is you know not going to be elite and needs to maybe get a scholarship because that scholarship is going to change a kid's life. And you could, and it's not just track and field. You could say you could really make a case for this in American football where, you know, whether it's right or wrong, the testing or the measures that we'll call them high performance, but let's say NCAA collegiate coaches, the measures they use when they're looking to recruit are just those, those, you know, they're going to want to, know, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know how much you guys know about American football, but I'm assuming if, you, if you're strong as hell in high school, that opens some eyes and, you know, turns some heads, and you, of course you have to be a good football player, but all of that, you know what I mean? Like there's the combine, right? So do, do you train to be a good football player in the long term, or do you train for the combine, right? That, that kind of thing. So that's what got me thinking that I wanted to have a number of discussions with coaches, one endurance. I'm going to do Nick Garcia for throws, my buddy in Southern California. Uh, I'll find a, I'll find some other uh, sprint and um, endurance and uh, jumps coaches. But that's sort of what, that was the genesis of this conversation and those other two that are coming up. Sorry. So that's 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 how this started. That's why mm-hmm. you and I are sitting here. But why don't we first just start with you talking a little bit about your history? Because why don't you just give us a brief um, summary of that? No, I am a lowly 
developmental high school coach and have been for two decades. Um, but the yeah, I mean the the background is as you know. I'm willing and, and motivated to go reach out to anybody around to learn better and to, to learn more and to, to try to apply that to my stage. So if Derek Evely's in Chicago and I, I have a, a route to meeting with you for breakfast, I'm going to do that. You know, and, and that has been something that's been a part of my coaching for two decades. So I probably have a little bit different... Um, background and a little bit different um, take on my what I do than probably an average uh, endurance high school uh, coach does or a developmental coach does um, but yeah I mean there what you just said I, I, I went off in 18 different directions as you were describing the experience of um, a teenager going through our system an American the American track and field system and there's so many things that are popping into my head. For instance, is it desirable to become a post-collegiate elite track and field athlete? What is our goal globally from, you know, cradle to grave, cradle to grave right. as you describe it, right? And as you describe what qualities should be uh, maybe not addressed or addressed to specific degrees. Like we need to, we need to, we need to get those on the table, right? So there, there's probably 15 different things that you brought up there that that my head's going haywire because my head is focused on four years mm-hmm. um, and maximizing the experience of those four years with the capacity for my athletes to go beyond that. But that athlete is probably extremely rare. And there are some athletes who, even with the ability to go beyond that, that may not be their their best path. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are all things we could talk about. We could talk about the state of track and field. We could talk about the state mm-hmm. of collegiate athletics, which is crumbling in our sport, I think, in the past year even more so than before. And what you need to do as a collegiate coach versus what you need to do as a high school coach. You said we have a pretty good system. If you go to a high school coach in, in America, a collegiate coach and a post-collegiate coach, you know, professional coach, would we all agree on what our goal is? Yeah, I don't know. It's doubtful. Yeah. Like for me, I, would, I, I immediately reject the term developmental coach for what I do, not because it's not developmental, it is, but because that's not how I frame what we do at all. That's not how, that's not, that's not my interpretation of what happens in the four years of the okay so let's pin that down a little bit so what is your goal in those four years so uh, you know obviously to create the best experience for the athletes and and for the canadians or europeans listening to this the american high school system starts at grade nine not grade eight like we do in canada and i think in britain but i'm not i can't quite remember but anyways so we're talking about grade nine ten eleven twelve or your funny names for them, sophomore, yeah, yeah. junior, or freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Okay. So, uh, sorry, those aren't funny names, but uh, so what is your, what's your, in a nutshell, what are you, what, what are you trying to achieve there? So it's funny because I reject the term developmental, but there's something developmentally that happens as a human during those years that I want to support, augment, challenge to a degree that creates growth as a human being and as an athlete. And that's the goal. 
And the, the, what happens after that is less important to me. That doesn't mean to say that I would ever sacrifice someone's future in the sport for what is happening in those four years. Mm -hmm. But I would say that if you talk to the average American high school coach, they are not going to talk, you know, their priorities in terms of what they're doing are so down the line. Athletics is an extension of their education at this level. It is an extension of their educational experience and their growth as humans. A lot of that sounds bullshit and cliche, but that's, that's really the framework for it. Um, that's not to say that we shouldn't be thinking about what happens 10 years from this, what happens in 10 years with this athlete in their athletic endeavor. We should. And I fully believe that I leave that door open more so than 99% of the coaches I know in, in, in what I do. Um, what do you mean you leave that door open? Like if you want to extend your career beyond mm. high school. Oh, you make sure they have a reserve to do so. There's or, no doubt about okay. it. Okay. But part of that is, and I want to talk to you about this, is I, I haven't vetted this statement, what I'm about to say, but I believe that if it's, de- quote, unquote, developmentally appropriate, it's, it might be developmentally optimal, right? So what you talk about, like getting to 95%, is that good enough? And there is certain instances where specialization may go further than maybe uh, you would want to in terms of developmental purpose. But when I think about a teenage American, um, if it is developmentally appropriate for them to be um, you know, progressing in their athletic career as a 28-year-old, it's probably optimal for them as well mm-hmm. as a competitive teenager. Because what you're factoring in there are the things you've discussed on your podcast, like avoiding over-specialization and certain intensities and loads on certain mm-hmm. abilities mm-hmm. that you've described. And I, I agree with that from a philosophical standpoint, even if my go- end goal is not for this to be a 28-year-old Olympian, right. but for to be a competitive high school. Yeah, I've, I've, I've said that often, that it just so happens that what is good for the elite athlete is also good for yes. the potential elite athlete is also good for any athlete in in most sports because really what you should be focusing on if if I had to pick one or two abilities it would be skill and speed usually mm-hmm. right but endurance is a funny is a bit of a funny bird right there because it's it like if you have a sprinter through high school, right? Then if you are being specific with that sprinter, there's, you know, it's really very close to a lot of the same sort of appropriate quote unquote protocols you would do with the sprinter anyways. Cause it's, you know, if you're working on acceleration and maximal speed, we're talking about a one and 200 meter sprinter, right? Yep. But endurance is there's so much potential for abuse, right? Because oh, yeah. it's so easily trainable. It's a, you could say the same thing about strength. Uh, and we've said this many times on the podcast. So, yeah, I, t- I agree with you. But as an endurance coach, it's a tricky thing. It's a really tricky thing because it's so easy to just throw a bunch of work at them, get them better, and, you know... Um, and hey, hey, I did a great job, right? Because nobody's really looking at what happens to them beyond high school. You know, did they, did they, you know, did they go on it, you know, did, 
did they leave the program uninjured and were able to, uh, you know, train in college without dealing with two years of rehab or, right. or, or did they have reserves so that the college coach had something to work with when they got there. Right. So, you know, but, you know, so I, but, uh, you know, what, what, so I'm just wondering, oh yeah. The, the other thing I should say, and we, I talked about this uh, with Mike Young uh, in the podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you listened to that, but I, I did, yeah. you know, we said, look, like there's nothing wrong with specialization. Specialization itself is not a bad word, right? And there should be specialization throughout throughout the high school years. You just don't want too early specialization. You don't want everything to be ramped up too early. But but that those those four years and even the few years before that are all part of specialization. When an athlete first enters into formal training, quote unquote anywhere from 12 to 14 where, and that's what I call it, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, you're starting to break things down. You're starting to, you know, you're, they might start to do some formal strength training, you know, it, it's outside of just the natural sport activity they were doing. Well, the moment you start the formal training, you're, you're starting to specialize, right? But it's the early specialization or over specialization that's the problem. Now, for a for you and I sitting here, as you're a high school endurance coach, I'm, and my I do not have a lot of expertise in endurance. I produced one guy that ran that won a medal at the world champs in the in the 800. Not with me. I did not produce him as an 800 meter runner. I I coached him up to the age of 21 in his first year of the 800. Um, and, and, and that was it, but that's my only real experience with real endurance training. Um, so I'm not really an expert, um, but two guys sitting here like this, where does a conversation go from here? Okay. So, because, you know, it seems, okay. We both agree that there are certain protocols that probably should, should be followed or close to it. Right. But are we really talking the same thing? So, so why don't you give me an uh, give me a, an idea of what your program looks like in a nutshell? The things you the things you think should be done, shouldn't be done, just wherever you want to go with that. So, one of the reasons I said that I leave the door open more so than probably ninety, whatever I said, percent of my 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 counterparts in the field is because I I think that. And this is explained, this is answering your question, you know, the, the training philosophy. I think that a lot of endurance coaches come from a metabolic perspective, and you're 100% right. I was once asked the question, if I can go back to my, you know, first, second, third year coaching self, what, what, what would I tell him? And my knee-jerk response, and I stick by it, is avoid confirmation bias. And as a coach of teenagers, if you throw some volume at them and the, and the competition is volume-based, is endurance-based, and by and large, no high schoolers had any endurance background, you will get good feedback. You'll be able to find it. Now, whether or not you're optimizing is a whole different question, right? Or whether or not you're setting them up is a whole different question. So the kind of workaround is that, to my philosophy as a coach is that I do not attack training from a purely metabolic perspective. Um, 
I attempt to also address it from a mechanical central nervous system perspective, hmm. right? Interesting. So and, I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Walking into this room tonight. So it's, that's cool. Okay, go ahead. I, I think the most, so high school and high school coaches in America, cross country and track coaches who coach distance events, one of the greatest criticisms would be that you overvolume them. You, you ramp up the volume too high so that they are not able to then go anywhere from there. Um, I would say that a greater malpractice and a, a much more frequent malpractice is that you did not address the other end of the spectrum. You did not address their mechanical needs. You did not address their speed. You did not address, you know, you know, all these things that you've described in terms of ability for um, efficiency and, you know, this last podcast you had with Stu, mm-hmm. those things are by and large ignored or, or addressed in a very um, lazy way. Volume is a lazy coach's evaluation of training, mm-hmm. particularly for an endurance coach. Mm-hmm. Like it's an easy way. Like I don't count mileage, for instance. I haven't counted uh, how many miles per week we've run in over a decade because wow. it's, it's sort of an irrelevant metric for me right. because you're talking about load and load volume is one metric and vol- and mileage is a subset of that metric. Okay. Like, you know, you're talking, right. you know, if we had a, if we had a, because load is, is, a, is, you know, in, 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 you know, to discuss load properly, you're talking about what, uh, it's a measure of volume and intensity. Right? Yes. It's not, it's an, and and that, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's a very good point. A lot of people, and I used to do this when I was a young coach. I know until I was corrected once by a coach that, you know, I used to, I used to throw the term load around as, you know, just sort of haphazardly and, and you know, oftentimes using the term load to refer to volume. And it really isn't. And in right. fact, it can be the it can be way the opposite. If uh, as I as I as I learned, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I add to that from my perspective, the way I coach is teenage adolescent stress. So I I compute that in our load because I think it is there's there's such unique. Um, this is American society we're talking about. There's such a unique. Um, pressures, pressures, not optimal in terms of their schedule. Mm-hmm. It's it's illogical. It is um, overburdensome. Basically, school is set up to be a daycare and not something that optimizes their development. So you're talking about this stress load, and we can get in all the anxiety and psychological things that go on. You know, if you don't, if you're not also. N- not that you can quantify that, but measuring that or observing that as part of the load on them, I think you're missing something right. at our level. And right. I think that's true of any let's, level, right? Let's just go there for a sec. So, so I, I didn't consider that at all, but I absolutely, I absolutely now know what you're talking about because I've been here for a year and a half. I have three kids that are in middle school to high school. Um, and yeah, it's it's different here now. One question: So you you got you're, you're in a school that is in the you're not in the city of no, Chicago property. You're you're in one of the suburbs. Okay. So, uh, but I guess is 
Is the focus on standardized testing something, is that a national phenomenon in the U.S. or is that just in the city of Chicago or no, Illinois? it's national. Oh my yeah. God, it is yeah. unbelievable here. That's the biggest change or the biggest thing I've seen when I got here was just, it, it's like from the get-go, you are, it's all about these these tests. And in the city of Chicago, I don't know if it's the same in the suburbs, but in the city of Chicago, like nobody really goes to their neighborhood high school unless they, you know, basically don't pass the test to get into a better high school or unless they happen to live in a neighborhood where they're in the catchment for one of the top high schools, public high schools. Right. And from what I've heard, there aren't a lot of them, or at least it's not, there aren't enough of them, let's put it that way. Um, I'm getting to know the guys at Lane Tech uh, a little mm -hmm. bit because I've been throwing up there uh, and uh, they, they got a, the, the coach there is really great, Chris Roof. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, and, but my daughter's gone through this, this insane, uh, um, you know, she's trying to get into a high school and um, it has to take all these standards, she's taking like three, two or three standardized tests just to get into, it's in this, it's, I mean, it, it's so complicated that we had to hire an educational consultant to explain it to us because we sort of moved here in the middle of it, right? And yeah, uh, yeah so anyways, we, let, let's not go too far down there, yeah, but yeah. It, it is a huge stress. Like, it's unbelievable. Yet, my daughter finds the actual schooling a bit of a joke, to be honest with you. Yeah, like, yeah. not, not I, I shouldn't say a joke, but... It's like not hard for her. It's, sure. And she got good grades in Canada, but she, she, it was hard. She had to work hard for it. So, yeah, so that's, I could see that totally. So, yeah, I mean, there, and there's social stuff, whatever, but I mean, you, you're factoring that because it is not a consistent stress or stimuli for them, right? Like that evolves depending yeah. on your time of year. Yeah. So, as a coach, I, I kind of consider that when I consider load. Um, right. I always use the example of our first week of school. I mean, in, in, in our society, these kids are coming off of summer break. If you're in a you know, fairly priv privileged um, background, you come off of summer break in America and you have, you've been napping, you've been you know, maybe working a little bit or not at all. And now you're plunged into, you're up at six in the morning, you're at school till three, then you're going to practice for three hours, you know, and you're doing that five days a week. That's a, that's a dramatic lifestyle shift. So that first week of school, I'm going to adapt and adjust the right. load based on that, that stimuli. So that's like one, you know, pretty simplistic example of factoring that right. into the, the right. load equation. Well, I think, I, yeah. And, and like I said, I totally agree with all that. But I mean, don't mo wouldn't most coaches do that? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't most? I I don't know. I'm, I I don't know about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What I'm, do you think? Well, they should. Right. I mean, they you know they they. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's when people get hurt, right? Yeah. Is when they're. Uh, you know, they're tired. I mean, depending on the loading, but you know, they're tired. They're uh, you know not thinking as clearly as they should maybe they, they either you know they're either their nervous system shot so they're a little discoordinated or or even you know they make a bad decision because they're not thinking straight or whatever right. and they and, and they get hurt so but so okay so but how would your program you know like what like like you know tell me a little bit about your program in terms of how it evolves from grade nine 
through to grade 12 and the, the types of... Oh, here, here's one question for you. So what's the long... What is, how do you define American high school endurance? Yeah. We're talking the 800, possibly the four, and depending on the coach, right, or the school, right? Up to what? What's the, what's the furthest competition distance for male and female? Uh, in cross country, it's 5K. On the track, okay. it's, it's 3,200 meters. Okay, so okay, thirty-two hundred. So it's not and, a wide range. And is there a steeple? There's no steeple. Okay. So we have we have a, a relay, you know, uh, but you're talking, you know, four by eight hundred. You're you're talking the, you know, right. sixteen hundred to thirty-two hundred. And then most American high school coaches are primarily focused on the fall, which is five k cross country. Okay. That's, that's their biggest. Really? Yeah. Now some, yeah, some will go all the way down to four hundred. I think those are by and large bad signs of yeah. programs yeah. you know if you have your endurance athletes unless they're, they're able to do a paradigm shift when they're coaching those athletes but yeah i've never heard of it yeah yeah to be honest with you yeah so i i don't touch the 400 too much now i do want our 800 runners competent in the 400 right um so yeah okay so so what does the programming look like then for those athletes? Like how often would they train? What type of, you know, what, what type of, uh, you know, what, what, like, what types of abilities are you training? Are you doing any strength work? Uh, let's, let's start with like the actual track stuff. Like what, like what does that look like? So, I mean, get, getting a new athlete, uh, a 14-year-old boy, I only, teach, I only coach boys, um, strength is is the thing we're not even touching for a while and volume is the thing we're not touching for a while so i really like the les spellman mm. podcast and you know i you know kind of earning the right to sprint and and things like that and and, and progressing we're not quite we, you know we have to address volume as endurance athletes but i'm i'm pro, i pro i wait to do that i'd rather get some mechanical issues and coordination issues iron out before we we go to that so an incoming 14 year old we're gonna we're gonna we're more they're more likely to sprint than go run an eight wow. mile run okay wow uh just to kind of address those, right. those things you know and, and a lot of these athletes especially the last few years have zero athletic background so we do a screen right away like what what do you look like how do you move what's your athletic history you know some of these are just conversations mm -hmm. some of these are you know movement screens and then we kind of address it from there. You know? how, uh, how, sorry, just just to butt in again. How, yeah. uh, how many how many kids you have in your program? In, in your like, like how many how many endurance athletes would you be responsible for in a given year? Uh, t typically about fifty to 50? fifty to sixty five. Really, Whoa. COVID year we were really down, but um, so some of the things I'm describing are. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of laughable to say like I'm going to be able to screen 50 athletes. No, but you're not going to be able to, right? But you also have this kind of layering of of veteran educated right, of course. runners. Yeah. You, you know. you've yeah yeah. I mean you've I'm sure you've developed some kind of system, you know, logistic system yeah. for doing. I mean I, I I had at my peak as a development coach when I was in the club back in Canada in the day I. had at one point, I had 45 athletes across all events. So, but I was 
organized, man. I mean, it was like, yeah. it was, you know, it took me years to get there, but it can be done. It, 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 it can absolutely be done. Okay. So, um, um, so what, so what would a grade nine, 10, I mean, I, you, you started on this and then, and then I, yeah, and so then I, I mean, cut you off. Sorry. So, so you're talking so, about the grade nine, you know, uh, you sort of describe what they could expect Go from there. So, I mean, it depends on where they're at, right? Like, we've had some really coordinated... Oh, man, it's like talking to Stu. Yeah, and I don't want to... Oh, my God. Like, the depends thing oh, it is... depends. Oh, I can't <laughs> answer that question. Oh, geez, I don't know how to I was yelling that. At, yeah, I was yeah. yelling at my car, driving into school commuting, and I'm like, Stu, just define speed. You know? I know, I know. <laughs> oh, God. If you can't define it... The second it, he started talking, I was like, oh, Christ, here we go again. But anyway... We're not going to make it if you can't define it here. Yeah. So. yeah. You know what, though? I mean, you know, I'm... I'm, 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 I'm half kidding, right? Like, I mean, you know, I get frustrated with him, but it leads to good conversations, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Because he, he, he does think so nuanced. Like he, he does, does, he yeah. does. And that, and that's good for, that's good for everybody to, to hear that. So, and he's got this accent. I think this is what Leonardo DiCaprio was going for in Gatsby. Like if you would have just plugged Stu's, <laughs> Stu's accent in there, like he would have sounded way more refined. What accent? My wife says he's, he, my I don't wife know can what hear the is. Scottish accent in him. I don't know what it but, is. Like from my from a Chicago, <laughs> you know. Do native, I have an accent? Uh, you have a bit of a Canadian accent. Really? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Really? Totally. Okay. Okay. So my wife no, can s- hear a Scottish accent in Stu's voice, and I cannot at all. But my wife, both of her parents are born and raised in Glasgow. They're Glaswegian, right? Yeah. And she was born in in uh, in Canada. So I just like I don't hear it at all. He just Sounds like any any other Canadian moron. Does, know, does your wife listen to the podcast? Yes, she. So, what did she feel about how like how excited you were about your high school or your your old girlfriend? And you had to bring that up. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah, did I, she address uh, that at all? Because you seem to be like. Well, I kind of headed off, headed it off at the past. Like I gave her a heads up on it, and she uh, <laughs> she yeah so. Yeah, I know. With Mike Young, that was unbelievable, though. That was crazy. I couldn't. I was laughing, <laughs> and I couldn't believe that Dan Path set him up. Yeah, with that, course, like, yeah. but I, but I know how that happened because when Dan was coaching Marion Jones, working with her, I think they, it was Marion Jones was training at that track, at that academy, and I think that's probably the connection. But I'm, but I'm yeah. not totally sure about that. But anyways, okay. But anyway, so. <laughs> Enough about that. So my progression is, as a lowly high school coach, would be that, so it depends, right, on where they're at athletically. Right. You know, from coordination standpoints and those kind of things, how much that needs to be addressed, how much you could start ramping toward, you know, ramping up volume. Mm-hmm. But by and large, you're, you're, we are going to, you know, and I think you would agree with this, we are going to address most abilities simultaneously without maximizing any of them in their high school development, uh, we well, you want, have to though, right? I mean, you, I mean, you don't have enough time to do yeah. to do any real stage training, as far as I can tell. I mean, really, could you? No, or no, but so uh, a high, uh, our our kids will sprint the first week. Mm-hmm. You know, our, let, let's let's progress it now to our four year veterans. Okay. They will they will still sprint the first week. They will still do you know loads of volume. So like you know things like. Uh, uh, 12 to 14 mile and you know endurance runs um, 
we, what I think we do really well is we try to stay pretty polar with, with those things and we don't get too far into the, mm-hmm. the middle, the middle. Yeah. And, you know, what are it, your feelings on that? Well, for my feeling is, I mean, obviously you, you like to be polar, but are you always polar? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. I mean, I, I, so we're trying to, so everything is present always, right? But of course, you're, you're, you're changing the load, you're changing the density, as you guys would, would say, right? But the, the, the focus year one versus year four is more on developing the coordination and the, 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 the speed abilities right. and things like that, whereas we got to obviously move more toward the spectrum of right. toward the demands of the event right. by senior year. Right. I think and, every, and then in, and there's a progression from 9 right. to 12, right? Okay, yeah, a logical yeah. progression depending upon the there, individual athlete or whatever in their right. event. and. Because okay. some, and, th- and this gets nuanced too, and this is going to f- maybe frustrate people, but some more talented athletes, of course, can tolerate greater loads. And mm-hmm. so you progress them a little further. Some more talented a- athletes, you need to lessen the loads because they create such a high stress for that activity, right? Absolutely. We've had some really, we call them sprinters in our group who, if you, if you had them sprints, you know, Dan Paff will say you got six six sprints, right? You got six, you know, 40 meters, and then the, the, you got to be done, right? If you had him do six, this kid is going to be coming up. Like, like the, the, um, the demand that he's putting, the intensity he's putting on him, give in, in, and in parallel with his lack of experience, mm-hmm. is going to send him in a wrong direction. Something as, as small as six sprints. Um, so you put you cut them at four, right? Right, right. Um, so it depends on what that athlete can actually physically produce in whatever the workout is that we're we're designing. Right. And so some more talented athletes, we can progress really quickly, and and some and some other abilities we need to be careful with because they're quite explosive. And you talk about the demands on their central nervous system; they're going to fry them, whatever. And that's not what you're looking for that day, right? Right. So it. It really is constantly evolving. Um, that is one of those like aggravating coaching responses where if I'm listening at home, I'd be upset because it doesn't give a clear answer. Yeah, yeah, and people like details and they like uh, you know they, they like examples and you know. But that's all right. That's my job to pull that out. So yeah, what? Uh, so let's. Okay, so where do we go from here then? So, okay, so we. It sounds like you're doing bang up job, man. Um, Tom, you should have given me a, a, an easier uh, uh, somebody. Uh, yeah, somebody not so competent would have been a little bit easier for the example that I'm looking for. That's okay. Um, I'm just kidding, but um, I'm, I'm highly incompetent. So don't worry. Me too. You just me haven't too. found where I'm incompetent well, yet. Right. Right. Okay. Just okay. Dig around. Well, where are you incompetent? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me. In many of the things I described, I'm not a mechan- I'm not a biomechanist, yeah. right? I wow. mean, I can attempt to instruct and, right. and cue and and set up, you know. As but you, you think about it, yeah. And, and I, that's and, an, that's almost enough for for a high school coach. That is enough for a high school coach. I mean, you think about it, and you're doing your best and, and that's, setting up, as you would say, the environment. Yes. for them to, to grow in those abilities, right? right? Okay, Derek. Yes, if you're looking at the big biggest picture about things. The high school coach has the most difficult, difficult task because they're starting with kids who have, have almost never run mm-hmm. and have almost no experience 
up into a kid that's that's really talented, mm-hmm. and they have to they have to coach all of those kids. Yes. You know, if you move to the college level, all of those kids know what they're doing. If you if you move to the to the elite league, level, yeah, they I mean, really know they're, what they're, they're doing. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a it's it's a limited focus, right? The, the, the high school coach. They're trying to coach everything, this this broadest spe- spectrum that ever exists. So, I mean, yeah. that's what he's faced with. Right, right. Yeah, I know, I know. It's a, oh no, I totally get it. It's a it's a it's a challenge. So, so a grade nine comes into your program, and you know, with no you know no real experience, but is keen, wants to run, and then you're you start setting them up with you know you're looking at their mechanics, you're working on basic speed, um, working on the basic speed abilities, and then by grade twelve, they're up to a uh, a level where they're doing twelve. Did you say twelve to fourteen mile runs? Sure, and, yeah. and so would that be for you know your fifteen thirty two hundred guys? Or would that be all of them? Like, how do you use that those long aerobic runs? What's the purpose of them? What What are they? Are they for recovery, or are they for, a, uh, you know, uh, basic aerobic fitness, aerobic power? What are they? There, there's all sorts. Pardon of me if I'm meta- using the wrong terms. No, it's there's all sorts of metabolic things that happen from an extended endurance run, right? And that are highly beneficial to an athlete. The First of all, I, 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 I want to make it clear that um, I believe I used to believe that you need to get you, you needed to get in shape before you ran fast. You need right. to get fit before you ran fast. And now I believe the the inverse, which is you need to run fast in order to get fit. Wow, that's a great way to put it. I like right? that. Yeah. And so that's that's part of our pro- so someone doing that sort of endurance run. What made you change? I don't know. Probably listening to guys like you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. Right. Just, you know. I. I mean, it's been like I said. I've. I'm been pretty aggressive with right. my self education and seeking out resources and reading and whatever. Right. But I. I th- there was a point where, and I think we had a conversation about. You know, there's a legendary program. In our area, York High School, and there's probably a conversation. Tom and I had 12 years ago about this where I was adamant that I didn't believe in the philosophy of the program. And he, you know, in typical Tom fashion of being honest and blunt, he said, well, they're kicking our ass. And uh, my, my, my disagreement with it are, are these things I'm describing. You know, it was a high volume uh, program. It was throwing a, a ton of load at these kids. And there seems just something... So I, I, I determined I couldn't, I couldn't add more load than this program. I needed to go in some other direction to, to beat this program, and I'd get pissed off when he'd say, they're kicking our ass, mm-hmm. and that's not okay. So then I'm going in a different direction and suddenly studying sprint coaches and, and other coaches, you know, and, and suddenly you start learning about what is actually happening during, say, a sprint session or or you know what? What do mechanics mean? The the I think the average endurance coach says go out for a run. I'll see you in forty five minutes. Yeah, I'll see you in sixty minutes, and the kid's going to get some improvement from that. Um, but I had to I had to believe there's something else that could be happening there. So that's when I kind of went down a rabbit hole. Wow, that's 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 quite amazing actually. So how do you see? This is one of the big problems with trying to uh, 
coach athletes throughout this zone or along this part of the developmental continuum from that that's i mean that's a huge um there's huge changes in that from the age of 14 15 to 18 19 i mean you you could have kids on your team conceivably that haven't hit puberty yet and other ones that are shaving twice a day right right 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, or women that are women and girls that are actual girls, right? Right. And so, so, so there's that issue right there, right? And that, that creates all this complexity in terms of creating progressions. But then you just, you just hit on something really important, which is how I started this is, is that's one of the problems is that that feeds this whole thing is here you are a coach trying to create proper progressions, do the right thing, unquote, the quote unquote for the athlete, all of this. And you're up against people who aren't. Yeah. You're up against programs who aren't doing that and they are pushing it. And I, in my situation, I wasn't a high school coach, but I was a club coach almost all all the athletes I worked with were in high school. So effectively, I was a high school coach, but they were all from different high schools. And and I had some high performance and even a lead at one point. But um, And I actually coached some elementary school kids in the cross country in the fall, right? So, but in my situation... I, they were all from different schools, and it was Canada. None of the schools had any real effective program, so I was the only show in town. It was a very, it was a small club in a very isolated community. I always mention that when I talk about yep. Kamloops, and you know, there's not like here, where right. if you're in a town of eighty thousand people, the next town of eighty thousand might be five minutes away or ten, ten minute drive down the road. Ours are two hours away. So my point of all that is I didn't have those influences. I didn't have these, you know, they were out there provincially, but we would see them. So I was able to do what I thought was right. I was able to create the programs without any, without any sort of external pressure of what other people were doing. So for instance, one of the issues where in the the town I was born in, Vancouver, you know, like, uh, is a lot of clubs will train at the same track, right? Yeah. So you'll have one coach out there trying to trying to um, trying to implement these developmental protocols with his group, do the right thing, and there's a coach doing the same event group, coaching the same event group with the same age kids on the other side of the track, and they're they're early over specialized whatever it is and you know maybe they're being successful how do you cope with that as a coach like how do you deal with it right it's it's hard yeah. like i i would i mean i never had to really the only time i ever came up against it was at meets like well i wouldn't say at meets but in the results but can i jump in yes go right ahead i don't, sorry I, I, no, no no i don't think we lose. i always do i no, went no, on no. too long i don't think we lose to those coaches I think we beat them. Well, I didn't either. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I never lost to them. I mean, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, how do you, yeah. but my, but my question though is for coaches out there that are that, I mean, cause that's an easy, that's an easy way to get sucked into it. Yes. Right. Yes. So how, and so, but you didn't, you were, so, yeah, the, the old formula was get your numbers up. 
So get, get 200 kids on your cross-country team if you could. Run a ton of miles. You're guaranteed to get seven good runners, and you're yeah, going to be, sure. be a high-quality cross-country team, and you're going to be able to run the 3,200-meter in the spring well, right? And I truly believe the way we approach it will beat that team with the exception of the numbers creating a talent that we can't overcome. Right. You know, if that's just the situation. I don't think the teams that beat us are beating us because of that formula outside of the numbers, you know, and just generating talent. I think they are shortchanging them, but maybe still beating. And this may be my own confirmation bias, right? But if I just compare 20 years of coaching and I compare the first eight to nine, versus the last 12 into the same population and the different philosophy. And there's other things that happen, including bringing Tom Novak on board. But if I compare the, the competitive results, it's the old team was good and this team is exceptional. You know, the performances right. are right. good versus exceptional. And we've, 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 not, we've lowered the volume a little bit and addressed these other things. Right. And, I, you know, so I just, the information I've received from my 20 years experiment with teenagers is that, by and large, what's developmentally appropriate is developmentally optimal. By right. and large. It's, there's probably some wiggle right. in there depending sure. on events specifically. But... Um, and that we're not we're not going to get we're not going to get beat because someone outvolumes us as much as as they've ignored something some other motor ability as you would describe right. Do you these programs where these you know these huge volume programs? So um, one of the things that I that I've said often is that I, in fact I did a podcast on it. One of my earlier podcasts was on we need to redefine developmental coaching. Yeah. yeah. And I had three sort of criteria, right? Like results obviously is obviously important, right? Right. Um, are they, do they leave the program healthy? So do they go to wherever it is they're going? Uh, even if they're not going anywhere, yeah, do, they, do they leave the program? You know, are they crippled when they, when they graduate, right? You know, or if they go to the NCAA, does that coach have to spend two years rehabbing them before they can get them to you know, right. run decently again? And number three, do they have tr any trainability left? So, right. okay. So, do you is am I right there? As, You're I mean, yeah, because I, totally I mean, agree because with I'm that. saying this as a Canadian, based on what I saw in Canada, that's right. where that comes from. But I'm not familiar with the with the American system. I'm assuming it's the same, and from what I've heard, but is, is that, that doesn't mean they're going to get the scholarship that you wanted for them. But yeah, I'm in total agreement with that. And I am, I'm of the philosophy that if your athlete gets injured and let's say fell down a flight of stairs or something, it's your fault. You're, you're designing the loads. It's 100% your fault. And I, I take that on. Our athletes generally don't get injured right now because we've changed philosophy. But yeah, I, and if you make the sport miserable, that's the other thing. You know, if, if you're in the grind fest and you hate coming to practice, even if, even if you're, you're getting some competitive advantage momentarily there, what's the long-term impact there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, they're not going to last in, in the sport. And so that's got to be a priority as well, you know, when you're, when you're factoring this in. I'm just making practice miserable. Mm -hmm. And 
what's funny is when you have some distance runners go run some sprints, it's like they're on the playground. If you have them do some wickets, it's like they're they're at recess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you Still add something that, yeah. that is not just let's go you know, pile some volume on right. again day right. after day for four years. They are much more excited and fresh yeah. and, and energetic. And and then when you go do those longer days, they're they're they've got better qualities to them. They're 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 more able to absorb what the stimulus is that day. They're in a position to absorb what that long run is. And they're, you know, so I don't know, I think I, I read, read somewhere you said years ago, you know, you've got to be in, in a position to absorb the stimuli, otherwise the stimuli is, yeah, you know, that's right. worthless. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, maybe you can give an example of what the endurance um, Equivalent of that, but in 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 prioritize your, rest. Okay, okay. Well, there which you go. in the in the, the 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 Bible of endurance, American high school coaches is that is not a priority. Right. You know, get the weekly mileage. Get that number yeah. at the end of the week up as high as you can go for as many weeks as you can, and you will get results. And you, you'll get some results because you don't have to, you know, you yeah. will. But, but did you know Paul? Did, did you know of Charles Poliquin? No. Okay, so Charles Poliquin was a uh, uh, probably the most famous, maybe I don't think infamous is a way to describe him, but he was a real character, a very strong opinion, strength guy, Canadian guy, but lived the the. That the greater part of his career in the U.S. He was the guy in strength and conditioning for a long time. Just passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. Um, anyways, he called it, I heard him say this once, or maybe I read it somewhere. He called it the eggs in the brown paper bag method of talent identification, which is you take a bunch of eggs, you put them in a brown paper bag, you throw it against the wall, and the one that doesn't break is your talent. Yeah. Right. right. And, you know, I, I always I, man, that was a long time ago. I read that or heard it. And, and uh, you know, it's so true. Right. And yeah. if you have enough talent out there, they will always rise to the top. But someone like me in a small town up in up in Podunk, Canada, I can't afford to do that. Because right. I, I right. you know, I because I'll have one athlete every 40 years. You know, because I mean, I, I had like two distance runners in my program, three maybe, you know, ever like, you know, not 200 in a, in a huge high school. So, but so, okay. So, um, yes. The significant significance of that is for, for a long time, the, the approach in Illinois high school, cross country track was you build up this big team. You have 100 runners. You have 150 runners. You have 200 runners, whatever. You send them out, and you load them down with all this volume, and whoever survives that, that's your top seven. That's your top ten kids, yeah. right? Um, but the, the, the best kids on that team might have been the 15th, 20th, 25th kid who couldn't handle that volume, yeah. who, who couldn't adapt to that. Yeah. They might have been the most talented kids, and had you trained them in a different way, yeah. they would have That's been your point. best kids. Yeah. Well, what what would have happened to Dylan Jacobs if we did that? Oh, of course. He would have yes. broken half, yeah. right? Yes. Now, this is a national champion and an All-American wow. in Notre Dame. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. 
from your school, you coach. Yeah, and I wow. guarantee in, he would have been event? on the sidelines. By the Should way, I know who this by is? The, by Sorry, the way, John, being a speed John, power. John, idiot. John O'Malley is the only the only U.S. high school coach who is who has coached two different Foot Locker national champions. Oh wow! Well done. Okay. What's a Foot Locker national champion? It's, so I'm Canadian. No, it's, I, I it's don't all know. Good. I don't it's, know. It's the most prestigious cross country race. Oh wow! Okay, but it's okay. it's by it's sorry. Our, see, no, I, I, this good. happens to me all the time. I, okay, sorry. No, it's all good. Sorry, but uh, yeah. Um, no, and it, and it doesn't matter. But the point is, like, there is an athlete who is highly successful, right? right. He's 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 got a full ride at Notre Dame, and is an all NCAA all American in his freshman wow. year. And I think by the old, the old version of me would have broke this kid. Right. You know, right. If, if I got him in my first five years, I think I would have broke the kid. And, you know, it's kind of what you're describing, like what, what Tom is describing, where it wouldn't have mattered in the old model of this because you have 200 kids or you have 100 kids and you're still going to have five that, that, that can get it done for your team. Yeah. But you may have left your best kid off yep. the roster. Because totally. you just your, well, the load was so inappropriate, and you didn't address any of the other, you know. You just described the kid I coached from fourteen to twenty-one that went on to run one forty-three in the eight. So Gary Reed, I wanted yeah. to ask you this. Okay. So you alluded to Gary Reed earlier. Let's say Gary Reed has to enter the NCAA system, and. As an NCAA coach, you have 12.6 scholarships, and you're going to give one to Gary Reed because he's a goddamn stud, right? But Well, at that point, he wasn't. Oh, where, where was he as a 17, 18-year-old? Oh, 147, God, he was, right? Well, he was, he was a long jumper and a decathlete in high school. He won our provincial champs. Get this. He won our provincial championships in the high school decathlon, and he was silver medalist in the 200. Okay, so that's grade 12. And then in, as a junior, was our national champion in the 400 and came fourth place at the Pan American Junior Championships in the decathlon. This is before he ever what, ran what anything over 400 meters. What's that? What age was that? It would have been 18, 18, 19. Okay. Okay, and then, and then focused on the 400 until he was 21, uh, went to the... Uh, went to the 2003 world champs in, in the relay. He was a leadoff runner in the four by four. And it was there at the world champs in the training camp. Him and I went out and he, or 2001 world champs, sorry, not 2003. It was in Edmonton. And he said, I want to, I want, I want to go to the, I want to compete in the golden league, which is now the diamond league. Yeah. So what do I have to do? And I said, you have to move to the 800. Right. And so he did. So he did not, Ever, he did not do a single formal, he, he didn't do any kind of 800 meter training until he was 22, the year of his 22nd birthday. And he did one year of that with me. And I have a whole story of that year and the progression, which I'll put on the site, so I, I won't get into it now. And, was that the year four, you did like 47? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes. It's a great year. story. Yeah. Oh, everyone thanks, should hear thanks. that. Yeah, no, it, it was. Great. Well, it's my only endurance story, so, so, I, so I use it a lot. But we were also fortunate that we had one of the world's best middle distance coaches right in our backyard who thought very much like I do and very much like you do, very much. Like you and him in a room would have a great conversation. Um, and uh, so it, would just, it just worked out perfectly, right? Um, 
I forgot why I brought him up, but oh no, no. Well, I, I brought I, him you up were because I, I, I was okay. So in our American system, with the one of the issues, of course, is we. I believe we have a collegiate issue, which is you have 12.6, 12.6 scholarships that need to be divided between track and field and cross country. Okay, so now what do you do with that? If you if you spread them out what kind of team are you going to have? You're probably not going to have a cross-country team, right? But you're coaching both more often than not right. at the collegiate yeah. level, right? Yeah, for sure, right? Right. So you are looking for – so, and what, what, is, what is NCAA cross-country? 10K. Oh, God, yeah. So what do you do with, with an 800 run? What do you do with a kid Ugh. that can run 147? Yeah. I, I had a, I had a one forty. It's kind of useless to you because I had a one forty seven yeah. senior, right? Right. What do you do with that guy? You had a kid who ran one forty seven in high school. Yes. Wow. Okay. So what do you what do you then do with them? Because you're giving them one of these kind of global scholarships of cross country right. track and field, right? Well, you need. Do you want him to run eight hundred? Yeah. Probably yeah. not. When I said he's useless to you, I meant he's useless as an eight hundred meter specialist. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah. and and your job and your bonus oh, schedule yeah. is dependent upon uh, conference championships and yeah. NCAA qualifiers and this is, you know there's this layering of of, of incentive incentivized you know results yeah. and you need a kid that can run a 10k and also well they may yeah. not be a 10k runner but you got 12.6 scholarships wow so one of the and and you're stuck in that 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 four to five year collegiate bubble and your job and your livelihood and your family depends on those results. Right. So what do you do with those athletes? It's probably ramped the hell out of the volume. Yeah. Yeah. It's for probably sure. a logical sure. everything becomes top down. Yeah. 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 I know. Okay. Well that's enlightening. But, so um, anyway, I, I would wonder like, you know, what what is appropriate you're talking about developmental, right? So okay. Fine, I'm a developmental coach, and I'm handing them toward that system where there's this huge pull of priority. What is, it, what is a collegiate coach's role in this, and how much are they maybe, um, you know, uh, sidelining their development? Yeah. It's, the, it's like it's the athletic equivalent of the SAT, Right. Mm -hmm. Of standard, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just the way that I'm sure nobody set it up that way, but it's the way it's evolved. And it, it just puts everybody between a rock and a hard place, right? Like if you're a teacher, well, you guys, you are a teacher. So right. are you a teacher? I'm a teacher. Okay. So it's my full-time job. Okay. I don't, I don't coach. Well, I don't know because here sometimes people coach right, in right. high school and they're, and they're, that's all they do. So, no, that's, that's they actually pay, Co which is, coaching, that is one good coaching part Coaching is system. my side okay. hustle. But you know, like what do you do as a teacher who really believes, you know, like let's say teaching was their calling, believes it was their calling and they want, and they want to really educate kids, Right. Well, how the hell do you do that in this system? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, seriously. Like, I'm just, dude, I'm just waking, I'm just seeing this for the first time as a parent. I right. cannot believe it. Like, it blows my mind because we just don't do that back in Canada. I mean, you know, test standardized, for those, surely those who want to go to the U.S. have to deal with it. But it's, it's you know, I, I, I'm sure we have something like it. But 
because uh, I, I didn't I didn't go through that with my kids because we've moved here. But I'm just like I'm blown away by it. And but this is, anyways. My point is, what do you do as a teacher if you you know you have to get them ready for this for mm-hmm. these exams? And that you know, this is a great analogy, right? I mean, this is where I live, right? So. What And what my belief is is similar to my coaching belief on this, right? Which is that you need introduction to the specialty. So you need to be familiar with this test, right? You need to understand the mechanics of the test and how it's going to work and, and, and familiarize yourself with the test. And it is a terrific learning tool. Specificity is a wonderful, is my greatest learning tool as a coach. Like that's, those are moments of, teaching in practice, right? Or mm-hmm. you might even call it specialization. Like we're going to set up a race-like scenario and we're going to learn from it in practice. And you will do that to a degree in the classroom as well, mm-hmm. if you're a good teacher in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But by and large, 99% of your focus is on cultivating ability and skill. Okay. And those skills will translate if you familiarize them appropriately enough to that test. And It'll so transfer. The There's transfer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't want negative transfer. Right, right. I want transfer. So like yeah, so like you know, our test may be the state championship or the national championship, right? And it's a specific race set up in a specific condition and you want some familiarization with that and the demands of that, but you don't if you just over specialize in it, I think you're actually totally. I don't want my kid to go to that school. Like right. I don't want my kid to be taught like that. Just, just, and I don't just, think it's just optimal. To memorize. You know? I don't think it's yet, optimal. Yet, I, I had to, yeah. right? Like I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, I can't as as a as a parent. And maybe this is a rabbit hole here, but as a parent with three kids, and like my wife makes good money, right? I, but I can't afford three private school educations. Yeah. Okay. So, you know. This is important that my daughter gets into, you know, I want her to get into a good high school. Okay, from what I hear, there's a certain select few of them that you have to get into, right? So all of a sudden, you know, we get right. And, you know, I am supposed to be this guy who understands all this shit, like at least in an athletic sense, right? Right. And yet we get sucked into this. And next thing I know, I'm paying for this tutor. And, you know, once a week was costing a freaking fortune just to get prepared for this test. Not so much to teach her, but just get her head ready for it. And I think she did well on it, but I don't know yet. But um, and I'm like sitting there going, what the hell does the average person do here? You know, like I'm thinking, like, what does someone who can't afford it do? Like, I I just like move to the suburbs and just make sure you live in a neighborhood with a with a with a school like yours, I guess. It's cheaper. Cheaper to totally. move and then go and go to the public school. Yeah. So what I what I, my interpretation as an educator is that you are paying for the culture, not for the specialization, mm. and that's the real to me the real thing that is going to get the the test score up right. is that you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are that motivated to to, to do that right. right. So you're paying for a culture. Does some specialization need to occur with your tutoring? And yeah, yeah, yeah you're sure. you're yeah. advantageous in that yeah. way, and that's kind of that's how I look at coaching, as well, and that's how I think like I'm I believe I'm setting them up for a future without making it too much about the test. Yeah. So yeah. So I always I oh God people who've heard me say this are gonna are gonna just tune right out here. But I mean I've said this a million times, right? 
you can be you can be specific without speci- right. specializing. Don't get the two of them confused, right? right? Because they're two different things. Kids can be very specific in, in athletically, a lot, but that's not the same thing as being specialized, right? right. And coaches have to understand that because. You know, sometimes they go too far the other way or parents go too far. They're afraid to let their kids train or coaches are afraid to do this, any kind of strength work, you know, and the uh, the Mike Young interview and in getting to know Mike over the the last few years that I've I've worked with. That guy's sharp. Wow. No kidding. eh? Like, I mean, his what he oh, God, like. You know, it just—it's just—he's just—he's just got the right balance, right? Or at least it sounds like it. I got—I'm dying to go down there and don't say anything. Meet about, up with your. Ex yeah, there. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> don't not say that. I knew it. I walked right into you that. Really, you're no, edging to get down I, to North Carolina. No, she, has, yeah. she knows nothing about this. She's not. She doesn't even know about my podcast. She's not gonna. No. Oh my God. Anyways, uh, no, but I, I would like to be a fly on the wall at Athletic Lab for a week yeah, and yeah. Wa- and go through his programs because yeah. it sounds like he's got it, right? Because I really think, and maybe this is something we should talk about too, like I really think that we got a huge problem here in that, you know, um, play has gone out the window, yeah. right? And so, and again, this comes back to money. It's just going to polarize more, uh, us yeah. even more, unfortunately. But I'm finding myself in this situation. Do you, uh, do you have kids? Yeah, I have four oh. and a five-year-old. Okay, so, so you're entering this right yeah. now. You're at the beginning of it, right? So how do you keep them active, right? Like, I mean, like I got a 12-year-old kid and like schools, first of all, school, him being active in school before COVID wasn't great. I, yeah. I have to be honest. At his school, it's just, it just has it. I just don't see a lot happening. And you're in the city. Right, right. So... Yeah, we're we're inner city. So, um, but to keep him active, I mean, I gotta pay. You know, I'm I got him in volleyball. It's a good program. I got him in basketball. It's a good program, but it's not enough. And anyways, and so my point is that as as this gets worse, and with COVID, this we just leapt a decade down the road from where we were. That. Um, you know, we you you have to make these things happen now. You need Mike Young at Athletic Lab now, whereas 20 years ago nobody really needed him, right? Because play would at least early on you didn't. You you didn't need whatever he calls it, his gym rats or yeah, no, his uh, lab rats. Yeah, lab rats. His yeah. lab rats. No, no you, you didn't need that because if they were doing what we did as kids, exactly, no one needed it. But now you need it. Because it's just not happening, whether we like it or not, in most, in, on average, and, you know, generally speaking. So, you know. Yeah, our, I mean, I don't know what a parent pays Mike Young to spend an hour with them or, you know, his program. But the, the, the kind of significant line he had in your podcast was he said, it's, even with his expertise in the facilities and everything else that they got going on there, it's really hard to, to take four hours of activity and get the same benefit yeah. in an hour. See, he even right? understands, you know, yeah. he's, he's saying that. Yeah, and, and, and he's, he's setting up a program designed to maximize that hour, totally, right? Totally, totally. And, so uh, it, yeah. it, and I actually say the same thing, you know, I, I kind of laugh at, like, you know, for instance, sprint work with distance runners. And, and distance coaches are scared to death of distance runners sprinting. And I look at my kids in the backyard, I mean... They're they're with maximum intent, barefoot yeah, in the yeah, grass, yeah. all out sprinting, yeah. and there's no hamstring issues, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and why I know are, why are 
distance runners scared of it because they get hurt, hamstring pulls? Well, the, the first is this this in, improper belief that uh, speed will lead to an early peak. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. like so you you you'll be too you'll arrive too early. Oh, yeah. okay. Speed is reserved for. Oh my god. Prior, right prior to your taper session. First of all, taper is probably my least favorite word in coaching vernacular yeah, yeah. ever. I'm I, with you. There's so many things wrong with it. But so there's there's that. Like, and I was indoctrinated into this, and in you know when I was reading in the '90s, you know, like you know you, you need to reserve that for later, right? So there's that. And many coaches have gotten over it. But then there's the the injury and versus the the benefit, right? So like how much benefit are we gonna get from say a, a 40 meter fly uh, versus the possibility for injury? And how important is that 40 meter fly for a 5K? So when they balance those things out, many of them reject the idea. Yeah, I think one of the problems there too is is how it gets implemented and when it gets implemented yes. in, ter- in in terms of not just the annual plan or the or the the whatever the seasonal plan whatever it is. I'm talking where in the coach's career. So for instance, we um in when when I was in England, we had in our center a coach that was very uh, traditional British traditionalist. And to say you're a British traditionalist in endurance running is saying something, okay? Yeah. But he had a guy in his group uh, that was a had run forty four point in the uh, in the four hundred early early in, in his four. He was number two all time on the British list. Very young, he did this. Might, like just out of junior, he did it. And everybody thought, okay, this is the guy. Yeah, he never ran any faster. Okay, this guy, and he was coached by this coach. He wasn't actually one of my coaches that was under my remit, but he was in our center and he trained this guy in the center and he, uh, you know, and this guy's a good guy, good coach in a lot of ways, just was a traditionalist, believed exactly what you were just saying. Right. Um, and you know, but this over the four years I was there, this, this was coincided with this 400 meter runners, not improving and getting worse every year. And so eventually he got to the point where he, he was open enough, for us to step in and say, okay, look, you need to put some speed into this program. You need to, and, you know, to his credit, he did it, but he didn't do it. Like he, it, it, it's not like he just basically took his old program and threw some 30 yeah. meter sprints on top of it. And we were, you know, and it, it didn't hurt, but it didn't help. Right. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, he was kind of like, well, so yeah, I did it and it didn't work. And I was like, well, you got to understand, you don't just throw the speed on top. <laughs> it has to be integrated within the entire philosophy of training and that's a big conversation right like that's a big that's and if you're going to do it of, you have to be ready to maintain your commitment to it throughout yeah. like it can't be something we're yeah. going to do yeah and, know, and, a and sidebar here and then, yeah and and, and honestly it was itself. a it was probably a uh an exercise in futility to begin with right so to, to even try <laughs> That's really funny, too, because we were talking about injuries earlier, right? So think about a, um, an American high school schedule where they're following that traditional uh, kind of program. We're in, we're in the middle of March right now, right, or, or getting toward the middle of March. If you were in the um, trainer's office, whatever, what, when, are, when are you going to start getting those endurance oh, So you've heard me tell the story. What yeah, is it? Yeah, well, this that this is the athlete. 
the oh, same guy. This oh, is I the didn't. guy. This is that. This is the athlete I was okay. telling you. That, yeah, it's going to be now, story, right? Okay, so that so I should tell the story. Go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, tell it. So this same athlete was got chronically injured every March, March to April. Exactly. Okay, and this actually, I have another example of a. Of there's a female 800 meter runner that was in that center i was talking to one day on the track i think i told this story before not on the podcast but where where i was chatting with her on the track one day and we were you know because it's my job to you know i was overseeing all this and she goes oh she goes uh yeah i got my i got my first meet next week and i'm like, oh yeah how's that going good it'll be nice to put on the spikes and i'm like like what? And she goes, yeah, my, my, her, the first time she said, yeah, every year, that's, that's what we do. The, our, the first time we put on our, she's 800 meter run. The first time we put on our spikes is at our first meet. Now, you know, like you've never heard of this girl for a reason, right? <laughs> like she was, you know, but the thing yeah. is like this, this other athlete, you know, their talent and youth can take them to a pretty high level despite all of this. Right. But then it doesn't, it doesn't go beyond that. Right. right. So anyways, this, this, this athlete would walk in, you know, every year he would, he would get a hamstring pull. And the, I think it was the last year I was, or second to last year I was in Britain, and my office was right, it had a glass wall that I looked like you, like you, you had to go through the therapy room to get into my office, and there was, you know, it was all glass, so I could, I could, I, from my desk, I was watching everybody do therapy if I chose to, and I'm sitting there having a meeting with our head doctor, who uh, was is now I think the do- the head doc for the English FA or something. I mean, this guy is like up there. His name's Rob Chakraverty. He's a great, great guy. Anyways, he was, he was our center doctor, and we're sitting there, and he goes, oh, we were chatting about something, and he goes, oh, I guess so-and-so should be coming in with a hamstring pull pretty quick here, because we were looking at the date, right? Yeah. And then, you know, we kind of chuckled. The next, it was like the next day or two days later, I'm sitting at my desk, ex-athlete walks in limping, the doc is in treating someone at a table, and looks up at me, and I look at him, and we look at the athlete, and we just kind of go like, oh, we're just shaking our heads, right? Like it was, you could set your calendar by it. Yeah, it's malpractice. And, yeah, totally. I, I think so, and I hate to be hard on the on the coach, but it is. And and what and what it is, we talked about load before, right? And mm-hmm. so this is for people who may not be familiar with a, this idea. The the problem was is this guy went from doing a very high volume, low intensity program early in the year, like in the fall, you know, to preparing for the 400 meters in the competitive season outdoors the following year. And so you have, you know, low intensity, high volume, and those two curves, imagine those two cross each other. So at the end, you've got low volume, high intensity. But the problem is, is when you think of it as load, like we described before, you actually, at the beginning, you don't have high load. You have high volume. And where those two lines cross approximately is about March or April when the volume starts coming down and the intensity starts rising. Well, all of a sudden, in a short, relatively short period of time, you have a huge jump in load. Not to mention, they're starting to, you know, neuromuscularly, they're starting to challenge the system that they're, they're not ready for. They haven't been doing it for six months right, or five months. Right. And so what happens is they, 
you know, they start running faster. And even though they're super fit aerobically, they're not they're, they're not doing all the things that you do with your bloody grade nines, right? So that's the problem so, is that when you're only looking at it from the metabolic perspective, which is a traditional endurance coach, you think that they are ready, that they've mm-hmm. built this capacity. They're so fit. Right. But they're, they're, they're about to now, now, be, now you have this capacity specific, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the wrong assumption of the distance coach, of the, the endurance coach, is that because I build volume capacity or a capacity of, say, aerobic running or some certain type of, of running, that the capacity transfers to intensity, Max yeah. speed, whatever it is, and it doesn't, no. of course, right? I don't ever want to. They're two totally different. Right. Things. Yeah. So that's yeah. why March. I always laugh. Everyone gets injured. Yeah. And, you know, not in our program, but yeah. you, you've got to build the capacity from day one of all these abilities, right? And and have a progressive load on them. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I do it anyway. I I we're not you know I'm not. It's going to sound like I'm boasting here, but when I was in Kamloops, I was. I had that program for 11 years, and I had on average 50 athletes at that at that high school level, that and and beyond. I had one kid who was a 400 meter runner, world junior medalist, okay, and went on to be with another Kevin Tyler from Altus yeah. went on to be a an elite 400 meter runner in 11 years. And 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 I ran that the same program. I was my what my philosophy is what you've described. Right, I did not have one hamstring pull in 11 yeah. years. Okay, not one, right? So, you know, and that taught, I don't know how I even got on. I guess it was just, I don't know, it was just where I came from, I guess. I don't know. I, I just, the studying I did, but somehow yeah. I just I just was specific all year round. And when you're, it doesn't mean you're doing the same thing all year round, but you're being, you know, right off the get-go, they're doing speed, short distances, and, and you, you bring them along gradually. Now, I'm not saying that distance runners that should characterize all of their all of their programming right but you need an element of that in it because otherwise you will end up in what you just described this march ham, march april hamstring pull because for it's just such a simple thing the body just isn't used to to doing it right. and when you understand how the sprint the sprint cycle works there the fastest muscle in the body which is the hamstring i think it has to shut on and shut off very quickly, right? And and if that's discoordinated or you're tired or you're not used to it, well, that's a, that's what pulls a hand. Tight hamstrings do not pull hamstrings. It's not why it's the, it's usually the, that may be the straw that broke the camel's back, um, but it's usually it, it's it's this it's this. The firing isn't right, right? Right. Stu right. would be able to explain this in right. much, <laughs> much more uh, eloquent and, and complicated sound very terms. Yes, but yes, yes exactly. Hear that, Stu? <laughs> but 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 he, but he he's right, right? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. It, it's there. There is a coordination problem. Basically, right. it's not because the hamstrings are tight, you know. And what's the first thing that the that endurance runner does when they pull their hamstring? They go start stretching their hamstring. Which, <laughs> right. And then yeah, we, we can get we into do, pelvic tilt and all that, but no, no, no. We so. don't do any stretching. So, listen, I am going to be in a bit of trouble here if I if we don't talk a little bit of specifics on programming. So give me all some right. ideas. Like, by the time an athlete gets into grade 12, say 11, 12, or sorry, junior, senior yeah, years, yeah. you know, what, 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 you know, what, 
what types of things let's talk let's actually let's go to the the 800 Let's mm-hmm. talk about the 800. So how do you manage that? Because that's, I call that the conundrum, and I sent you an mm-hmm. email on this. I want to talk about the 400, 800 conundrum, and you're like, well, what conundrum? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, the, you know how, do you, how do you prepare an athlete for that? I mean, you've already sort of answered that. You know, you start with the speed in grade 9, and it's always part of the program. But more specifically, what, what does the training for that athlete look like? You've... you've God, you've coached a guy at 147 in high school. Where I come from, that's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. So, um, aside from a few rare instances, um, but you know, like, what 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 does that look like? Yeah, in, in a general sense, I know there's going to be individual programming and things like that. But I mean, what are the kind of things you you? I mean, do you just? I mean, for someone that has to get an athlete ready in a short period of time, what does that program look like? Well, yeah, I mean, we've we've. I'm probably most well known for our 800 athletes. Um, you know, we we've had a lot of success with those athletes. You know, um, so and and there's a. There's a reductionist view of what I do. That is, we just sprint and we don't ever, you know, do any aerobic strength work. Da da da. Which is really join the not club. true, right? Yeah, yeah it's it's mm-hmm. it's such a misinterpretation of what we're doing. I describe 14 mile runs, right? But um, I think so. What what I'm trying what what I would first say to this is we have such dramatic success in the 800. I think because and this is going to be really offensive to people. It's by and large an area that is, it is the number one miscoached area of the track and field spectrum in high school in America. Right. So right. it's, in some ways, it's, it's easy money. Right, right. I don't know, I totally get it. So, yeah. like, you, yeah. you... Same in Canada. You, Same. You're talking about... You're talking Everybody about, comes from the top down. Yeah. Not the bottom up, yeah. Yeah. And, and you're talking about... Um, the the metric you're talking about that's Rift the dog by the way everyone yeah, yeah is comparing our 800 results to 800 results of everybody you know you know the the country which is by and large miscoached so this may be something that's a strong statement yeah oh, this is good this may be 20 years from now you look at our results and say that wasn't that good yeah Okay, and I would readily be ready to accept yeah. that. You know, like it, it, it's a possibility. I don't think it's overly complicated for us because we are year-round committed to speed, mechanical qualities. We are committed to having every component of our training system present. That doesn't mean we're doing spec- or specialization, as you would describe it. We're not doing like, you know, something that gets you ready to run an 800. But they are thing, they are qualities that will definitely get you ready to run the eight hundred. You know, I have I have very. Can, can, can you elaborate? Like, give me an example. I'm not quite sure I followed well, you there. So I. So I, like, in, I mean, you you're obviously by grade 11, 12, you're specializing to some degree. You got. I mean, they're running eight hundred meters. Not that work. much. It depends really, on the yeah. athlete. Like, if I get, huh. I've had athletes that come in that are not cross country runners. Right. They're they're basketball players or they're right. soccer players and. They they have a whole different approach. So that's a sidebar right now, right? So let's talk about the the traditional endurance athlete. The, and in our country, this would be an athlete that runs cross country in the fall and runs track and field in the spring. And you want them to run the eight hundred well. 
Okay, first of all, I believe that if you run the 800 well in the spring, that sets you up better to run the 5K in the fall because you have this commitment to, to these components that we're talking about that are not going, you know, why would you do more sameness yeah, yeah, in the yeah, spring, totally, totally. right? I was, I, well, I was just going to say, yeah, because you're not kicking the crap out of yourself in the, in the six months before either. Right, know? right. Which, yeah. So, so there's definitely some, so to give you an example, like I would do a workout, I would, I would design a workout in say early May or late April that is completely event specific at that point, 100% event specific. And it's going to be a teaching moment and it's going to be, um, hopefully a workout that gets them confident and it's going to be something like, um, the one I always use as an example is 300 meters at your goal 800 meter pace, 200 meter float, 200 meters at your goal 800 pace. So it's 700 meters total of work. You, and, the, and the real key of that is what you do in that second, that 200 at the end. Can you come off of, you know, kind of like, you know, have, have some, um, have, have juice some, left or yeah like yeah. Can, can you can you be explosive can you right. be mechanical can you yeah, yeah you know when when you're flooded with byproducts right, you right. know when you're in distress yeah. can you maintain form can yeah. you yeah, yeah and so so that th that would be very specialized to an 800 that at that point in the season i would not give to a miler or a 3200 meter runner right? right so how many times would we do that kind of a workout it's probably four or five Wow. Right. Okay. Now, year round, we're committed to max speed. We're committed to addressing right. some volume. We are committed to a variety of paces. I don't do the whole classification of speed endurance. Da, da, da. We, we just categorize it by event pace. Well, that's good, though. That's yeah. good. That's, that's, uh, so when do you, I mean, are you, are, you, are you training these guys year-round by mm -hmm. grade 11 and 12? That they're, by and large, yeah. Okay. okay. You're, you're allowed to do that? Like, oh, sorry, for the most trouble. part, yeah. For, yeah, for the No, I mean, it's an honest question. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. Because I mean, some places you're not. No, like, we, like you're not we allowed are. To. We will occasionally get the I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not putting a value judgment on that. I'm just, I'm just yeah, asking. Yeah. Are, are you? No, no. We, we are. We're allowed okay. to coach them year-round if they're committed to the yeah. sport they may be doing you know alternative right. sport right? right and one of my philosophies is that let's say we get a you know an american soccer athlete or a basketball player if they come to me to run and i get them an 800 mile whatever it may be they better not be worse at their sport right when they come out of our season, yeah. like you, you, but are they ever? Would they ever be? Well, many people are worried about um, you know vertical vertical jump. You know where are we at? Like if I'm a volleyball player or a basketball player, is that going to decrease because we're doing some volume? It's, it's a it's a it's a legitimate question, right? No, no, and fair I'm enough. but has it ever happened? I mean, do you have an not not where not, I measured it? Right. Okay. No. Be, right. But because we're committed to those variety of qualities right right right, like, right yeah yeah you know but i but i think a lot of programs that would happen because right. they would they would take the soccer player who is and and this is the biggest joke in this country right where you get the 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 soccer player are by and large the best runners in a, you know at our level okay and yeah. why is that yeah, well they've been running they've been doing some running right but, but now what do you do with them? 
So you got the, the former soccer player. You got you know someone who's doing soccer. You know they're in their off season, and you want them to get. You want them. To what would eat. I do with them? What would you do with? And I, I would I would be as specific as I could right off the bat. Is that, so what does that mean? Explain that. I would give them a workout like you described. Oh, you what? I mean, don't you think so? Like, sorry, am I missing something here? Are you you're saying they're, they're coming when they're coming at you when? So let's say in our system that would be coming now coming okay. off a basketball season and you've got uh, well, a basketball of, or a soccer player because you said a soccer player either way like you you may have, let's say a soccer player comes so they spent the fall in soccer and now they come to you in uh january february ish to run track okay so they're they're they have all the general endurance they need right am i i mean you're the endurance expert so i'm, I'm guessing possibly this. so i would say that it would depend on the athlete. But if we're talking a soccer player coming to me, I'm a high school coach. I have to get them ready for the 800. Now I feel like I'm being tested. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm assuming they can run. Do they know how to sprint? They're probably the most coordinated and, and from a max speed standpoint, fastest athlete in your group. Oh, well then I would just, yeah, then I, I stand by what I said. I would, I would, I would, I would, I mean, I wouldn't rush it, but yeah. I would, but I would, I mean, what I might do, I might just race them. Yeah. You know, like they're I mean, competitive, just, right. And well, yeah. And let, I mean, in a typical high school program though, um, from what I understand, you guys compete a lot on the weekends, right? So that's your specific endurance. If you want to call it that, mm-hmm. that's your specific you know, one, you know, and then I would just maintain the squ- speed qualities during the week. So I would, right? Like that's that's what that's how I would approach it, and I and I would let the races get them in a form, assuming they had enough. Like if you if you were racing before you got to your high school champs, I'd probably want them to race do at least fifteen runs in a race, so, twelve to fifteen runs. So with okay. that, now, now there might be a few in a weekend. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. what an average high school coach would do with that athlete is start running up the aerobic volume on. Yes. Build their endurance. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because that's mean, what they're lacking. They've yes. done no runs. Yes. Runs. You know. Well, putting okay. in quotes. Yeah. So but they're that, playing soccer. They're, they're soccer playing. Players. Well, this is this is the misevaluation. So their work capacity in terms of speed, I'm 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 speaking very generally here, yeah. is quite high. Exactly. A lot of intent, right? right. A lot of you know, yeah. a loose ball. What kind mm-hmm. of intent you got on that, right? Versus what 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 most coaches would say is, well, what we're lacking is there's no formal aerobic training here. There's no, there's no commitment to volume here. So what we need to do is start getting this athlete to do, conduct some 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 minute runs, progress that way. Wow. And what often happens is that athlete will still be good and better than their other runners, but they are far below what their capacity what their potential yeah, is. Their yeah, potential yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I would, I would just be... I mean, okay, I might have, you know, there's something Bondarchuk told me once, which is really interesting about uh, what the Russians did. Oh, God, he gave me this disc once. It's a CD with, it was like the top 
one of the top Soviet middle distance coaches was a buddy of his, and he had all of this guy's information on a, on a CD, and he gave it to me. It's all in Russian, so I don't. I mean, I suppose at some point I could have plowed through it all and picked out, you know, got the graphs or something, and figured something or had some of it translated. But I lost this disc, right? Yeah. So I'm always kicking myself. But one thing he told me about this was, and my point here is that I would stick by what I just said, right? But I wouldn't be afraid of doing any aerobic work, but it would be non-timed and it would be, you know, it'd be runs, recovery runs and things like that. Sure. And this is what Bonnerchuk told me. It was really interesting. And I did it one year with a girl I was coaching who ultimately didn't compete that year, but it worked really, really well. He said, between each specific session you have, you have to do three 20-minute runs. That's it. Okay. OK, so think about that for a second. So let's say you did, let's say you're not, let's say you're competing on the weekend and you're going to do two other specific sessions or let's, for argument's sake, say it's two. You're going to compete on Saturday. You're going to do a, a session on Tuesday, Thursday, let's say, or Monday, Wednesday. Sure. Right? He said, what you do is, is after the, uh, the first specific, let's say it's Tuesday, Thursday, after the first specific session on Tuesday, you do a 20 minute run as or part of your warm down, right? The 20, you let them dictate the pace because at 20 minutes, they can only do so much, right? Right. right? Or, you know, it kind and, of organizes itself in terms of exactly, calibrating the exactly, pacing. Exactly, right? Yeah. So you don't, you know, then somewhere in the next day, you're going to do one. Mm-hmm. He might have said a half hour, but it wasn't longer than that. I'm pretty sure it was 20 to 30 minutes is maybe what he said. And then for the war, part of the warm up for the next specific session, you do it again. He said, that's all they did. So that's all they would do. This is what he told me. Okay. Yeah. So whether I, and he, I mean, Bonnerchuk never lied to me, would never yeah. bullshit me on yeah. stuff like that. Cause you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, he taught me everything he knows and everything else. Why would he, you know, he said, yeah, he said, that's all you need to do. But when you add that up, you're doing a fair amount over the long term, right? So all of this, and he's just, he's not saying you're not, I, I don't, I didn't take that to mean you're not doing any other kind of aerobic work. Or, yeah. But he said, you have your specific sessions and you have these, basically just these recovery runs. There wasn't any, the mileage, there was no real extended mileage in it. And this girl was training for the 15. And I thought that to to be really interesting. And I did it and it seemed to work great. Mm -hmm. Like her workouts were going well. And, and, uh, but she ultimately never competed. So uh, she just kind of flaked out and left. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, I found you know that was interesting. So sure. But yeah. where were we before that? <laughs> no, we're, we were getting deep in the weeds there on training. So yeah, it was. Good. I, I guess kind of globally to kind of sum up my my training philosophy would be that in every single way you can you can categorize it, I am trying to set up the capacities and themes for a teenager to expand so those are psychosocial those are every component of training and when i'm trying to like expand that out like that is a progressive thing and definitely individual but you know you set up the theme from day one Mm -hmm. you know whatever that is you know like if one of our goals is to be to be present then we're, we're going to talk about today. We're not going to be talking about four years in that moment. You know, I, I, I believe that fully. If one of our goals is to have, like, you know, 
biomechanical efficiency, then that's going to be present on day one. And it, it's going to, the load and, and what it looks like is obviously very different. But you, you, my goal in those four years is to set up those themes and develop them as far as I can that's appropriate for that individual over four years. And I believe that that is not even remotely close to their quote unquote peak. And that those themes can be then, I can hand those off and they should be able to be expanded and adapted to the new environment. And um, that's our commitment. In, 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 a, in, a, in a specific sense in terms of training, I, would I be wrong to characterize your program as you know, high quality, um, Oh God! I just lost my train of thought. Um, high quality, specific. You're like in terms of how you apply. You know the types of workloads that you that you apply on the track. As opposed, I mean, from everything you've told me, that's what you've been saying, right? So everything is about specificity and being high quality, which you can do at any level, right? That's not necessarily specialization. Or over or over right. specialization, right? So, would that would you characterize characterize it? It sounds right. Yeah. Okay. okay. I mean, so I don't I don't think we should do anything. Do your athletes ever get the shit kicked out of them to the point where they they cannot come in and run a high quality workout without a day or two of rest? Possibly. Really? Like, well, but I mean, chronically speaking. No, I mean, definitely like, not. like, I mean, that's you not know. the goal. That's not the goal. Well, no, it's not. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, yes. but that might happen. There's yeah. a period where uh, I'm okay with maladaptation. Right. So, and in the Bonner trick system, which I'm always talking about on this mm-hmm. thing, that's that's absolute. Thank you. <laughs> that's absolutely part of the. Yeah. There, ha- you you have to, you have to expect and work through maladaptation, but it's not. Yeah. Um, but it's it's it, it it's like you just said, Tom. It's not the goal, right? That's that's not the oh, goal. No, it's not just at a all. phase that we expect yes. to go through. Stu and I talked about that, and he talked about Dan's. Uh, collegiate program where he he expected that's a little yeah and so what I was describing earlier though I mean but generally in terms of the high quality specific you know there's a there is you know um, you know there's there is a, a philosophy a good philosophy actually out, out there of you know that, that all training should be like that you should never get too far away from competitive readiness right that's Charlie Francis that's Charlie yeah I yeah. mean he's you know and that works I use it it works but the Bonnetrick system is a little bit different and, and so um, but anyway so these are you know, it's all different ways of looking at it. but there's no in, but in neither of those is there is there any sort of stage uh, traditional stage approach and no chronic overloading. That doesn't characterize either one of those two approaches. Right. I wouldn't say we have chronic overloading at no, any I wouldn't. point. From what you've described to me, it doesn't sound no, like No, I mean, we're too committed. You know, one of, one of the things I noticed... Because you can't do the other things you talked about and be chronically right, overloaded, right? right? I mean, we're too committed to these other qualities, these other... The recovery, and you can't, you know, max, sprint maximally without... 
appropriate recoveries, for instance. So if that's going to be com- a commitment of ours, right. you can't just plop it in. Yeah. You know, after a after an overload session. So I, I the thing that I notice most most about our athletes that go on to college because of the commitment to volume that I described this 10k to 800 meter pri- you know priority is the lack of explosiveness the lack of fluid motion i mean when i see them after a year or two like you know if i go watch them at a track meet a year after they've graduated they just don't look the same in terms of how they move. Um, you know, I don't know what's happening there. You know, ground contact time, whatever. You know, I'm yeah. not going to measure that. But they don't. They don't look the same. And I think one of the issues is because you have this like intense commitment to trying to get them ready for a 10k. Yeah, what, what, what you described. Yeah, right. You described. And so the, the chronic overload. The coaches in. They're in yeah. constant chronic overload. Yeah. Yeah. And I. I my philosophy is that doesn't that doesn't provoke the best response. No, well, it can't you, at any level, yeah. even if you're preparing for the 10k. Yeah. No, 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 no. You can't. They're 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 two different events, right? They're two different things. You can't you can't. Uh, well, you can train someone for them, but you're going to compromise both. You're right. Ultimately, I think, right. right? Like, you know, so I don't, I don't think you can be a master to those two. To those so I'm things. constantly trying to what I call protect speed qualities. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a, we, we, we have to commit to volume, right? So if you're doing, you call it a 14-mile run as a high school senior, I don't just send them out for a 14-mile run. We're going to do things within that 14-mile run where I provoke them to engage certain speed qualities, right? Mm -hmm. So I might have them do a set of surges, or I might stop them and re-engage certain muscle groups before I head them on out. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I'm constantly worried about is are we losing that end of it while we're doing our commitment to the other end of it? You know, And I, I think... You know, when when a, a lot of people miss out on that, they right. they don't think about that. Totally, totally. Because you're thinking about the metabolism. Right, right. Wow. Well, hey, listen, man. I don't want to keep you any longer. How long have we been talking? I don't it's know. Been, it's been, it could be pushing to. This could be stewish, <laughs> stewish. Um, so, I really appreciate this. That's, that was yeah. great. Okay. Um, I may come back and ask you. I almost positive I'm going to get feedback on this that people are going to want a, a more depth about what you're doing in terms of um, they, they just want to know more let's put it that way right okay. I think this a lot of high school coaches are they're, they're going to get a lot out of this so I appreciate do, do you have so, a lot of high school so, so we, may end up in this, no? we may end up in Tom's basement again what's that do you have a lot of high school coaches listening or no don't know. Yeah. Don't know. I know. I know. I have some from Canada. Um, yeah. I haven't had too many reach out to me, but I know I have. You know, it's growing big time. Like uh, I'm getting a lot of people listening. Um, the most is in it. the U.S. by far, but U.S., Canada, Britain, and Portugal. But a lot of people in Portugal listening, and a couple people in Bolivia. If you can believe that. <laughs> anyways, uh, hi Bolivia. But anyways, um, so. Anyways, John, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. It sets the tone for the other ones I'll do in this series. And, yeah, that's great. You did a good job, Tom. Thanks for uh, bringing John, Tom, John, bringing John on. 
It was his idea. It's awesome. Yeah, and you and I are going to do our, our special talk. Well, you and I have to talk about it maybe this week. We may have to do that on our own. And Yeah, so anyways, that's... Uh, and every, I'm going to get feedback on that. You shouldn't talk about things that people, you know, without being specific <laughs> and... Anyways, whatever. Anyways, thank you very much. Thank All you. Right. All right.